I love the Raiders. Most of all, I love the win. You're now listening to State of the Nation with Jimmy Durkin, Vic Tafer, Ted Nguyen, and Deshaun Reed on the Athletic Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to State of the Nation here on the Athletic Podcast Network. Jimmy Durkin, Vic Tafer, Ted Wynn, Deshaun Reed. Raiders training camp is underway, uh, not in a traditional sense where we're out there watching practices, but those guys are out there getting uh, a little bit of work in and, and kind of ramping up toward the time when they can put pads on in uh, a little less than two weeks. But we're starting to get news conferences. Guys are talking to the media. We're kind of finding out a little bit more and... Uh, the headline grabber on Tuesday was Derek Carr telling everybody, telling the world that he is tired of being disrespected. Uh, Vic, are you being disrespected? How, how do you, how do you feel about Derek Carr's disrespect out there in the world? Yeah, man, it's real. Everyone's everyone's hating, but uh, no, but seriously, I think you know Derek. Obviously, I think I was a little frustrated. I'm sure he, he says he doesn't read stuff, but I think people will tell him what's out there. I'm sure he may read some stuff anyway. But it goes both ways. A lot of critics of Derek Carr, and some defend him. The last year wasn't that bad. Actually, the stats, you know that kind of a impressive you look at him real deeply so i think um it's a big year for Derek. he knows it i mean all the tools are there for him all the weapons he needs uh third year with john gruden so uh, whatever you need to kind of build yourself up and, and make it happen then if you need to disrespect and have a chip on your shoulder then uh good for you yeah when i asked him kind of a follow-up question to that statement he, he made it very clear that like he's not trying to necessarily prove somebody wrong he just said he doesn't care about the critics anymore we don't really believe guys when they say that because if they didn't care they wouldn't say anything but something that he kind of stood really strongly on was last season he he felt he was much better than he was the 2016 season that everybody references when you know the Raiders made the playoffs you know largely due to his efforts you know he said everybody got caught up in the the win-loss column I mean obviously that's what everybody cares about at the end of the day but he was I guess focusing more so with that statement on his own play specifically and I guess it's kind of hard to argue when we look at the numbers, but I mean, when the offense doesn't finish and you're not winning games, nobody really wants to hear that. It's hard to believe him when he says he doesn't care about the criticism because it seems like a topic that comes up so much. But I mean, it's not a bad thing. I mean, you got to find a way to motivate yourself somehow. Athletes are good at doing that. Like, you know, Jamal Adams said he's going to have to fight for a starting spot, even though they traded a whole haul to get him. One of Carr's best games last season when he was angry in week one against the Broncos. So if you could maybe have that attitude the entire season, maybe, you know, he he could start finishing drives and putting up some of those numbers and then shutting up his critics. Yeah, I mean, I would push back pretty strongly about the argument that he was better last year than 2016. And I mean, the numbers can say whatever the numbers say. You know, it's been written, it's been said. Statistically, he he had a fine 2019 season, a really good one. You know, some in some ways, an historic season in terms of accuracy and all that. But when you watch every game, when you watch every snap of 2019 and you watch every game, every snap of 2016, as we did, it's not really close. I mean, 2016, he was a quarterback that was fearless and and he made plays he made that team better and so while he was you know pretty good for for large stretches of last season I would push back strongly and 2016 was his best year and it showed itself in the fourth quarter comebacks and the swagger that whole team had yeah I think with Derek it's clear that he needs to have confidence in both his receivers and his protection I think in 2016 anytime it was a big play needed or third down you look for Crabtree in the end zone they're gonna run the ball or is it fade to Crabtree so you have total, total trust in Crabtree and even in Amari Cooper so I think and O-line he thought would always protect him. So I think last year that was lacking. You know, obviously the receiver core got depleted and uh, O-line was okay but not dominant. But I think 
he's shown that if he has that level of confidence in both his receivers and his O-line, then he's going to be pretty good. I think that's definitely the key this year, making sure he's relaxed. Philly has protection. If somehow it falters, he can scramble. But really, make the throws with his arm that win games. And the bottom line is, I mean, people in analytics always debate if wins is a quarterback stat or not. But really, you judge quarterbacks by their wins. And I think Mark Davis was on the radio the other day, said Derek has all these great stats, but he's been great for us. But the bottom line is winning, and they haven't won the last couple of years. So that's really on him, you know, fair or not. As far as playing with a better understanding of the game, and just mastering some more details of uh, quarterback play, especially in this really complicated offense. I think that's what he's talking about when he said, you know, he was better last year than in 2016. He probably knows what he's doing a little bit more. He has more control over the game. Obviously, that hasn't translated to some of the wins and numbers he put up in 2016. But it was a different offense, and it was, a, you know, he had a two, you know, Pro Bowl wide receivers or uh, two Pro Bowl caliber wide receivers. Uh, back then so I, I kind of see what he's talking about but overall yeah it's just hard to say that he's better than 2016 when he won all those games and put up those numbers all right well let's talk about the weapons uh you know Greg Olson gave his rundown really of all these three rookies that they've added to their offense and Henry Ruggs Brian Edwards and Lynn Bowden um you know Bowden we all know he's going to be starting out as a running back but he mentioned that they're you know kind of introducing some of the quarterback concepts to him they want him to be familiar with some of that kind of stuff and really plan to use him as that versatile weapon that he was able to be at Kentucky yeah Raider fans have to be excited about that I mean you watch you know Bowden's uh, tape in college and even high school it's pretty amazing he can make guys miss he's a he's a big play guy so however you can get him in you got to do it and I think having that wrinkle in the red zone or if he's a quarterback or you know I mean that's gonna be good for him I think you definitely you gotta get him involved as much as you can and so I think if you're a Raiders fan you gotta be really happy about what uh, what always said yesterday it looks like my joke from the draft when I said that they should put uh <laughs> Bowden at quarterback it Uh-oh. came Carl true the, Carl the bed yeah, man, go ahead. Olsen said it. It's happening. Well, he didn't say he's going to bench. He might just move Carr to the outside. Carr will be a receiver or something or a tight end. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure Derek's going to move over. He's going to come off the field probably. You know, he talked about the Taysom Hill comparison, and the Raiders weren't good in the red zone last year, but like having a guy like Bowden and having a Taysom Hill type of package can make them better in short yardage situations and in the red zone because – you know, when you have a quarterback that can run, it kind of equates the number or equals out the numbers in the boxes because the quarterback is a running threat. Yeah, I think it would be a good weapon to have if they could, you know, integrate some of those packages in and uh, it'll be interesting to see. Now, Henry Ruggs talked the other day, you know, first time getting to talk to him since, you know, the draft and, and everything that happened with that moving incident. And that was a fear when that happened. You know, do we really know what happened? And luckily, everything there has uh, has worked out all right. And he says he's 100 percent. And if you're John Gruden, Derek Carr, I mean, I think these next few weeks of really seeing how much Henry Ruggs can learn and absorb this offense is going to be such a key, because if he can be a week one weapon and you know, Gruden mentioned how, yeah, we we know that he was not the number one receiver at, at Alabama, just like Josh Jacobs wasn't necessarily a bell cow at Alabama when we brought him in. But uh, if Ruggs can step right in and be, you know, a number one receiver right away, that's going to be pretty crucial for this offense. I just think it's going to be tough for him to be a number one right off the bat because I think there's some parts of his game that, that needs some development. I think he needs to get a little stronger. But, you know, if he could just get maybe one or two deep passes a game and really back the safeties off 
and open up things underneath. I think doing that in his first season would give this offense a different dynamic than it, de- than it definitely didn't have last season. Yeah, they might move him to the slot also. You might play all three spots. You can move him around. So I think you know, if he can be a number two guy, in my mind, if he can just be a productive you know, starting receiver and give him a different, like, like Ted said, different wrinkle, open, open things up for other guys, I think that would be huge. So, you know, I think it's exciting. Definitely a big play guy if you can line him up whatever you want and see what happens. I know that they love, obviously, Renfro in the slot, but – I wonder if we see any rugs reps there um, just to kind of mix it up a little bit. Yeah, I mean, and, and one area that could allow them to do that is more praise keeps coming in for Brian Edwards. You hear Ole talk about him and talks about how thick of a person he is and just the size and the ball skills. And I mean, if you look at it and, and you see Edwards and Tyrell Williams being able to contribute as your outside receivers and all of a sudden you can throw rugs on the inside using that speed. I mean, I know you got Renfro there and you like his ability and his connection with Carr, but man, if Edwards is as good as everyone's saying he is, and you got Williams kind of back to where he's been before he got hurt and rugs running in the slot with Darren Waller at tight end. I mean, that could be a pretty explosive offense. You got Nelson Aguilar also Woo. getting praise as a rookie, you know, in your workouts is not necessarily the best, you know, it's not a great predictor of what's going to happen, but We've seen before where, you know, when guys don't get praise and guys could tell right away that rookies aren't good, that's not a good sign. So it's at least, you know, you can see that these guys are saying that he can be a number one. They see some of those skills in him. I love the compliment that Carr gave him. He said he's a violent route runner and he gets in and out of his breaks violently. I think that's the big struggle for bigger receivers. So knowing that he can get in and out of those breaks with speed and with some violence is a, is definitely a good sign for Edwards. And I'm excited to see what he can do. I'm a little, I'm kind of more curious to see what Edwards could do than Ruggs. I really liked him coming out the draft. You know, another part of the new additions to the offense, Jason Witten, they're getting to see him in training camp now. And everyone's talked about him as a leader and, and a veteran and how net well he's going to just kind of guide all these guys. And it kind of remind me of a story I was talking a couple years ago. You guys remember former Raiders fullback Keith Smith now with the Falcons. And he was talking to me about when he transitioned from linebacker to fullback and how one day Jason Witten, who, you know, this when I was talking to him, Jason Witten was retired in the Monday Night Football booth, but he had been his teammate with the Cowboys. And Witten, Witten mentioned to him, like, hey, do you know all these plays? Do you know all this? And at one point, Keith kind of hesitated when diagramming a play and Jason just stopped and was like, you need to know everything here. Like I have faith in you. I know you can do this. And that was the confidence boost that Keith needed to know that he could play that position. So, you know, as we laugh about Winton being paid all that money to be a leader, it will be interesting to see the combination of him kind of helping all those younger guys learn this offense and be on point and just learn how to run through a whole training camp in a season and then seeing what he can do on the field. Uh, we won't really know till the regular season, but so far the, the praise is coming in for him. It's just knowing everything uh, and knowing all everything that he's supposed to be doing. Yeah, I don't know if you guys saw the, uh, the picture that from picture day of, of Witten, but he got a shaved head now, has a little uh, evil grin. So definitely he's embracing the old move to the dark side. I think he'll often be a big weapon for him in the red zone. And like you said, the leadership is the key thing. That's why they brought him here, to kind of show guys how to win. He talked to the team last night. So, yeah, so far so good. We'll, we'll see how he does uh, once the season starts. How do you guys feel about that Witten picture? Did it look right to you? Did it feel normal or is it going to take a little getting used to? No, it's weird seeing him not being a Cowboys jersey for me it's funny how some people put on a team's uniform or, or gear and they they suddenly look appropriate like i don't know mike mayock I, I wasn't sure how he would go from like tv guy to all of a sudden being in the suit and the raiders colors but all of a sudden once you saw him he just looked immediately natural i think Witten will take a little more time than that but uh 
it's just uh, so long that association with the Cowboys that's gonna be uh, gonna be tough to see. I like the uh, the Lex Luthor vibe. I got like a Lex Luthor vibe off his picture. Like <laughs> kind of, uh, I was digging it. Looking at the defense, one of the news items of the week: PJ Hall. They went to cut him. Then the the Vikings said, "Hey, we'll take him for a conditional seventh rounder." And then he goes there and he fails the physical. Uh, we know staying in shape and and coming in at an appropriate weight has been an issue for PJ Hall. Um, the production hasn't been there since they made him a second round pick, and there he goes, cut as just a, another in the latest of second round failures for the Raiders in the draft. When I was doing my explosive play study, he was the worst defensive lineman as far as giving up explosive runs or being responsible for explosive runs. I just didn't realize how bad he was until he looked at the film and he flashed some of that abilities sometimes. It was just too far in between. I mean, there was plays where he would put a lineman on his butt or he would just make some really athletic plays, but it'd just be too far in between a bunch of really bad plays. Yeah, just showing up and out of shape two years in a row. And then, you know, the Vikings knew he was out of shape when they traded for him. You know, then he gets there and he fails a physical. So, I'm, you know, I'm just thinking like, man, he must have been really out of shape, you know, for them to do that. So it was just, uh, yeah, just not a good situation for him. Yeah, he figured the bar was kind of high for the Raiders when he came into the camp because they weren't really looking for him to be a part of this team. They brought in two Cowboys, uh, D-tackles. But he figured when he went to Minnesota, who desperate for a D-tackle, the bar is a lot lower. Like, just show up. Don't pass out during the physical. And we're, <laughs> and we're good. But apparently he really was in that bad of shape where they couldn't even take him on because it's a shame because, you know, like you mentioned, he has the strength. He's definitely one of the stronger guys on the team. I think you like that low center of gravity potentially, and he could be a factor, but you got to be in shape. Even uh, during the pandemic, you got to keep in shape, and he didn't. And uh, it's sad that things could uh, end so quickly for a young player in, in the NFL. I think both Vic and I, we, we probably didn't think he was going to end up making the roster with the addition of those two Cowboys. You know, the clock is ticking. I mean, even this week I wrote about, you know, Arden Key and he might be in the same boat. And I think it's something that, you know, both Mayock and Gruden, they have been afraid to, you know, if a guy isn't performing, whether they picked them, you know, second round or fifth round, you know, they'll cut them loose if they aren't up to par. You know, that 2018 draft was obviously an interesting one. It was John Gruden's first uh, in his return to the Raiders, but Reggie McKenzie was still here. And Vic, you know, you reported on this at the time that they were running different draft boards and, you know, they kind of coming together and merging them. And and obviously Gruden had final say. And there was a lot leading up to that draft that didn't feel like everything was on the same page. And now you see the players remaining from it. You still have Colton Miller, who they feel really good about. But the remaining guys, Brandon Parker, who's going to be on the roster bubble, Arden Key, you know, should make the roster, but, you know, doesn't have a, a whole lot of life left. Mohurst, you hope he can stay a rotation guy. And then Marcel Aitman is is, pro- is definitely going to be on the roster bubble as well. The whole 2017 class is now gone. That was obviously the last one, McKenzie and Del Rio, as Markel Lee is now uh, waived. It does really, you know, show you that as good as that 2019 draft class was, that if you're not stacking up good, good to decent draft classes every year, that it's really hard to build a roster. Right. Plus, you got to stay healthy. Like Mark Kelly's issue was health the last couple of years, and then I think Gruden just kind of lost lost patience. I know. I imagine I would talk to him. But I imagine Markel was surprised. I think the day before he was putting up pictures of the locker room on Instagram. He was pretty excited about the season. So I imagine he was surprised to get cut. So you know, with Gruden, I think you got to really got to watch it. You got to. He can snap at any time and kind of lose his patience and like you know what? You've been here too long for me to keep waiting on you. The time's up. So I think that's going to be a key thing for a lot of guys uh, still on this roster. I think some fans will get irritated when we talk about draft value and where guys 
you know, should be drafted based on the consensus board. You know, I think a lot of fans are like, oh, if, if they love him, they love him. It doesn't matter where you take him. But I think we've seen, you know, so far in Gruden's drafting history that he's kind of out of touch with consensus value. We'll see if that continues to be a theme. Yeah, I think we saw that a little bit with this draft. I mean, you know, I'm pretty sure most people had C.D. Lamb and Jerry Judy over Henry Ruggs. They make him the first receiver taken in the draft to take Damon Arnett in the first round, even – you know, taking Tanner Muse in the third round. If they like a guy, they're going to get him. You know, they, they don't seem to care too much what we think, <laughs> honestly. Um, and, I mean, if it works out, and it's not much you can say, but it better work out, you know. And so that's kind of the pressure that they're, they're playing with here. And I guess we just have to see how it goes this season and, and moving forward. And nobody cares if it's your reach if the guy plays well. If the guy plays well, <laughs> no one's going to say, well, you got picked way too early. But if you obviously don't play well like P.J., then everyone's, oh, that was a bad pick. You know, you obviously – you know, Sam Houston State and maybe didn't deserve to go that high. So it's all hindsight, and uh, definitely these players is on them to prove that they really deserve to be you know, where they're picked and kind of uh, and show they can play in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, I think that's where you see the issue when it's a you know a PJ Hall from Sam Houston State that you haven't really heard of. You go back a few years before when it was Jihad Ward out of Illinois who was a guy that you know wasn't a huge production guy in college. And it's when you have those guys that you think you're drafting and, and kind of acting like you're smarter than everybody else by taking this guy that people haven't heard of or don't have nearly as high on their boards and those guys don't work out. That's where you, you lose being able to have that built up faith. But, you know, hey, 2019, their first draft together, they did so well that you start trusting them. And I think that's kind of why, you know, you give them a little more uh, trust in the Damon Arnett pick that people were a little bit skeptical about. And if Arnett works out, just like all their picks really worked out last season, then uh, you kind of build in more faith when you make some risks in the draft. But uh, going back, I wanted to go back a little bit more to uh, to Arden Key because, you know, to Sean, you wrote about him and kind of one of the main topics you addressed was that, you know, everybody's always talked about him as a guy that needs to add more weight but you know the way he expressed it he really doesn't feel that that's something he needs to do he thinks he can if he can kind of get back to the right mentality that he can get it done in the nfl at his size right yeah i mean he referenced you know names such as robert mathis and von miller and even lawrence taylor and obviously you hear those names <laughs> uh you're like uh yeah man i mean that's not the Who typical guy you know <laughs> you know i i mean that is you know, at, at the base level, proof that somebody that size can have a lot of success getting to the quarterback. And I think key, you know, the, one of the frustrating parts about him is he has shown the ability to get there. He just can't finish the play. And I don't know if not being able to finish it is because he's 240 and not 270. You know, I, I mean, it's clearly he has the talent. He just hasn't been, been able to put it all together. And, you know, just going into this offseason, uh, he went back home to Atlanta and worked out with his old high school coach. Kind of got back to the basics, uh, reviewed some of his old film when things were going well for him to see what he, he stopped doing. What he came up with is he just needs to get back to being himself. And so we'll see how it, how it turns out this year. I mean, he's obviously not lacking any confidence. He still thinks he can make a major impact in the league. I think most people have, have probably jumped the ship on, ship on him at this point. But, you know, he wouldn't be the, the first guy that we see that, you know, starts slow and, and breaks out in his third year. You know, and, and so it's not unheard of for that to happen. So, I mean, we'll just have to see how, how it plays out this season. It's frustrating because he gets so close to so many sacks, but he just can't finish. And I did a Q&A with uh, Wade Phillips a few weeks ago, and one interesting thing he said was good rushers, when they rush, they're looking at the offensive lineman. They're not looking at the quarterback. They're looking at the offensive lineman trying to figure out how to beat them. But great rushers can look at the quarterback while rushing the passer. I kind of wonder if that's what's going on with Arden Key, where he's focused just on beating the offensive lineman. His eyes are on offensive lineman and not seeing the quarterback. And when he finally does get free, 
he doesn't know where they are and it's hard for him to react. So maybe that's something that he'd get better at with a little more experience. I think that the weight thing is definitely an issue. I think they, they wanted him to gain weight the last couple of years. They tried different ways and obviously didn't work. So I think now it's really on him. If he can show he can be productive at his current weight, then they'll, like, they'll say fine. But if not, they're going to say, you know what? We tried to get you up and you couldn't do it. And you saw him making play. So really, like, uh, like John said the other day, we're on a mission. I'm not sure you're on the same mission anymore. So I think with Arden, it's really time to put it up or shut up. I think he has to show this year he can make plays at whatever weight and then he'll be able to stay on the roster. All right, guys, let's take some questions now. Uh, you can always send us questions using the hashtag SOTN mail or whenever we uh, tweet it out and, and ask for questions. Or you can make a comment on this week's podcast post and we can uh, revisit it next week. So we'll start with this one from Manuel Romero. Why does Carr care so much about being disrespected if he's all about the Mamba mentality? Did we ever hear Kobe talk about being disrespected? At least I don't remember him ever saying that. I don't know if that's true. He was somebody that he may not have cared what people thought, but he definitely, I think, referenced, you know, being doubted, you know, throughout his career for whatever reason it may be. He did use it as fuel. And I think that's something that, that Derek's trying to do. I mean, he he's not going to let it at the end of the day. It's not going to make or break his life. You know, if people don't like him, but he is sort of trying to, I guess, engineer that internal drive to maybe not prove them wrong, but to show that he is, you know, what he says he is. It's not necessarily a bad thing because, you know, if, if it was the other way around and didn't have this motivation and everybody would kill him for being, you know, passive and content with where he is. So it's kind of damned if he does and, and damned if he doesn't. So I think that's probably the best best case scenario for him. I mean, you know, the, the excuses are, are pretty much dried up for him this season, um, you know, with the offensive line, you know, appearing to be one of the best in the league, having Josh Jacobs coming back. Henry Ruggs, Tyrell Williams, healthy, and all these other options that they have. Darren Waller, pressure's on for sure, but it, it sounds like he has the the right mindset going into it. Kobe definitely paid attention to criticism. I, I think there was a story about a uh, a beat reporter that wrote something critical of him, and he you know ignored him for like months, and until like later on, their relationship got fixed. But I, I was think, that was that Tim Kawakami? Was it? I, it might have been Tim, or it might have been Sam Farmer. I, I don't remember who told that story. But I mean, the thing is. If you are paying attention to criticism, stop pretending like you don't. You know, I think people will respect him a little bit more if he just, you know, stops pretending like he doesn't care, but then actually cares. But I mean, the one thing with Mama mentality is he was never scared to take it. Kobe was never scared to take a shot. Fans and John Gruden and the whole team just wants to see him be a little more aggressive because, yeah, he did play it a lot better. And you saw some of those numbers. The main thing with him is he just has to be more aggressive with some of his throws and takes more chances. And if he's really going to you know, channel Mamba mentality, that's what he should be doing next season. Yeah, to me, the Mamba mentality just means killer instinct. I think you know, Derek has to show that this year. I think there are plays where he hasn't shown it for whatever reason. He's kind of taken the, you know, the check down or the easy way out or you know, throwing the ball away and fourth down a couple times. So I think you have to just go for it. He's got to leave it all out in the field. And definitely, like if he plays like this is it, nothing to lose, you know, just go for it like Kobe did, then it could be a really good year for him. All right. Next question here from Black Honside uh, says, Crosby is noticeably bigger. Furl is rumored to be bigger. Nassib is leaner. What direction is Marinelli going with the defensive line? Finesse or power? Well, Marinelli historically has liked guys that are quick get off, single gap type of guys. Definitely, I think in his history, he likes quicker defensive linemen that could shoot gaps. I wouldn't say it's finesse, but quick guys that could shoot gaps and cause havoc rather than really big guys that could two-gap. That's Marinelli's style. 
All right, next question here from uh, Tommy Moe. Uh, does Tyrell Williams make the roster in 2021 with this new slate of young dynamic receivers and his $11.5 million salary and no potential for dead cap space next year? Why do people always want to look ahead so much? Well, who cares if he makes a team in 2021? We're, hey, we got I, 20- I, I've also got a question in here about who the Raiders are going to draft with the 32nd pick in the 2021 draft, if you want to get to that one. <laughs> 32nd, <laughs> 32nd pick, mind you. Live in a moment, guys. <laughs> if you look at it on paper, obviously they drafted two receivers this year who they have big plans for. There was some talk this year about bringing him back or not. They brought him back. So I would think, I mean, I hate to look ahead, but I would think you you couldn't get too excited about his chances to be in the roster next year. But if he balls out, then that could change. But I think they're obviously planning for the future. And they have two young guys they want to be starters. So I wouldn't imagine you'd pay him $11 million next year if you have two guys who are starting at receiver. All right, so what kind of season do you think Tyrell Williams has to have to stay on the roster next year? I don't want to answer the first question. Now we're, <laughs> we're going further down the, uh, the hole. So what, 850 yards and 10 TDs? How about that? Is that worth 11 and a half? Probably not, but I think it's a, it's a, it's a high number, which, he, I mean, I don't know. They have so many guys at receiver. I'm not sure he's going to be getting that many targets. I mean, he'll get a lot of targets, but it's not going to be a clear number one guy. He wasn't last year, so I'm not sure that's – He's kind of like that 1B, 2A kind of guy, which is, you know, I think people have seen that. So I'm not sure that's worth $11 million. And now I'm dogging Tyrell Williams, which I didn't want to do. But, yeah, I think he's going to have to have a big year. I'm not sure it's possible with the number of guys they have at receiver. All right. Question here from Pranav Kumar. Uh, we'll start with you on this one, Tashan. Any surprising players you think may get cut that fans would not have expected to get cut? Hmm. Yeah, come on, man. Answer this one. Who are you That's cutting, Tashad? Uh, Come on, man. Cut, cut somebody. Don't be I afraid. Mean, cut somebody. He may not be surprising, but like probably Nathan Peterman. Come on. I mean, because it's cause, is it too Peterman. easy. Cop out. Cop out. No, Gr- I mean, Gruden loves him. Gruden loves him. Expanded practice squad is where he's headed. He's going to be yeah, all right, all right, all right. At the, the Amazon Hotel not. by himself or in case somebody gets sick. All right, maybe Nevin Lawson. How about that? Man, see, Sean just gets on the beat, and you guys are trying to make him like enemies with certain players already. I didn't ask Shame. the question. We're asking questions. <laughs> God, I'm too far, man. <laughs> oh. No, nah, I'll stick with Nathan Peterman. I think that's the one. I mean, I, I mean, given how much Gruden talks about him, I think that would be a little bit surprising. Just outright cut him. He would expect him to be like stashed on the practice squad, of course. So he's not technically gone, gone. But I don't think anybody gets the the PJ Hall treatment. I don't think we see that to where they're just completely done with them that we wouldn't expect. I could be wrong, but I don't think it'll happen. All right. Uh, next question here. We'll kind of start wrapping this up. Maybe maybe one more after this. Casey Riva wants to know, will the first play of the Las Vegas Raiders be a bomb to Henry Ruggs? That would uh, feel kind of appropriate. What do you think? Is Mark Davis calling the plays? So, yeah, 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 of course. I could see that. Yeah, I mean, that'd be fun. Either that or Josh Jacobs, you know, run. I think one of those two is a probably safe bet or else uh, – Oh, she get Tyrell Williams going on his big year and throw him a slant. But, uh, yeah, I think Ruggs, the deep play, would be the one, that, the one to watch for. That would be a good call. But the question is, will Carr throw the, the bomb or will he, he check it down? And that's going to tell you a lot about how the season's going to go when it happens. I, I didn't say I didn't say what he would do. I just said that would be nah, the question. You, you pretty much did, though. Come on, man. First play of the game, you're throwing a guy under the bus already. Ah. Didn't last year they basically do the same running play with Josh Jacobs every game on the on the first snap? Pretty much. Yeah, for, for, for a while there. It, it yeah. worked, though. Like it six worked. yards. It was like six yards every day, every game. All right, then we're going to close this out with, uh, we'll call it a group question. I think it's on here from a few people. Uh, 
Are the Raiders still in on Jadevian Clowney? Everyone still wants to know what's up with Jadevian Clowney. There are some people out there, too, that are upset that about the Dion Jordan. Looks like he's uh, signing with the 49ers. They're not bringing back Dion Jordan. People are mad about that? I haven't seen that. Oh, yeah, 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 a little bit, a little bit. He's a good, he's a good dude, but obviously they brought in you know, Carl Nassib, so uh, and some D-tackles. But uh, back to Clowney, I think it's going to be tough. I think it, it was tough because I think he's waiting for a better offer from someone. And I think you watch all your teams in the league had guys opt out. That's added space to your salary cap space. So teams now have more money. So I think that'll be a factor. I'm not sure the Raiders, I mean, I think they're interested, but uh, I'm not sure it's a hot and heavy kind of thing right now. Deion Jordan is rushing from the inside on third downs last year and I think they got Malik Collins who had a really high pressure percentage last year so I think they're happy with with him and he's going to get a majority of those those um, snaps on pass rushing situations yeah with Clowney I just think that he has a figure in mind and I just don't think the Raiders have enough cap room to uh to meet that figure I do think it's interesting that they left the open training camp spot though I mean they're at, I believe if Vic and I are right they're at 79 players so you do have that 80th spot, so I don't think that's an accident. And they still cut P.J. Hall. Man. <laughs> oh. All right, how much longer until you guys get to actually start watching a practice? I think we'll go for testing on Friday, right? Friday's testing, the first test. And I believe our second, you need two negative tests to be cleared for practice. So I think our second test will be Monday or Tuesday, probably Tuesday. I think ideally we're watching practice on the 12th. Is that is that Wednesday? I think that's Wednesday. So. Yeah. Sometime next week, for sure. Assuming that we get in that exclusive group of Tier 2M. A little bit of suspense to it. You guys got like a 20 bucks to, to slip them or whatever. You know, you can, can grease the wheels a little bit to make sure you're uh, you're on the list. It is Vegas, after all. You can make some connections off the field. So. All right, guys. Well, that'll wrap up this week's episode of State of the Nation. Uh, as we mentioned, we'll be back every week now. Hopefully by, uh, by this time next week, uh, Vic and Hashan will be either at or getting close to watching some practice and uh, be able to give you some additional insights from there. But uh, we're, you know, I know it's going to be a, a long wait for all you guys to actually watch some football since you won't have the preseason games to uh to quench the thirst a little bit but uh we'll hope to quench our thirst a little bit here at least uh, as we inch closer toward the 2020 season and the debut of the las vegas raiders all right guys we'll talk to you again next week